0: Welcome to episode number three of the Ministry Story Podcast. I am your host, David Tonin. Today is Monday, January the 3rd, 2011, and this is the official launch episode of the Ministry Story Podcast, which is designed specifically for church leaders to help you communicate the story of Jesus with greater effectiveness, impact, and excellence. I invite you to subscribe in iTunes so you can listen to future episodes, which will be published every Monday. Now let's get started. I have a very special guest today, so enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Ministry Story Podcast. Churches have the greatest story on the planet to tell. Let's explore some ways that we can do that with greater effectiveness, impact, and excellence. So, who are you, and what is your ministry story?
1: My name is Phil Cook, and I'm the founder and owner of Cook Pictures in Burbank, California. I am a preacher's kid, uh, but I discovered along the way that uh, I could reach more people with a message with a single television program or a film that my dad could reach preaching for his entire career. And so um, I never really felt called to the ministry. I felt called to help pastors
0: get their message heard. So that's, that's kind of what we do. That's pretty cool. Now, a couple of years ago, you wrote a book that was titled Branding Faith. Um, and in that book, you talk about the difference between marketing and branding, that they're close cousins. So, could you define the two and, and explain why you say they're? Close cousins.
1: Yeah, mar- marketing is a little more overt. Marketing is about how to telling you why you need to buy my product. Branding is really more about telling your story well. I, in the church, especially today, we have really confused ideas of what branding is. You know, it's not sweatshops in Asia, it's not business run amok, it's not capitalism gone crazy. Branding is simply a compelling story about a product, a person, or an organization. In other words, what do people think of when they think of you? That perception is critical before people will ever visit your church, before they will listen to your message, before they will buy your product. If that perception is not a good, positive perception, then they're never going to step through that doorway. So I think branding is absolutely critical, particularly for churches today.
0: Hmm. And you refer a lot in your book about sort of to a concept of storytelling. And, and I've, I've often been saying that the church has the greatest story on the planet to tell, So, we, but often we're some of the worst storytellers that I've ever met. Um, how would you suggest that churches should emulate Jesus' storytelling approach? Yeah, it's interesting
1: that uh, Jesus had three years of adult ministry on the earth, and he, during those three years he could have written a book on theology or church doctrine or a minister's manual or a leadership book. All he did was tell stories, pretty much telling stories was everything Jesus did, and most of them he didn't even explain. Uh, Occasionally, he would explain them to his disciples later, but most of his teaching was wrapped up in simple stories that were easy to understand. Uh, They weren't filled with Christian lingo uh, or special phrases that nobody knew. They were very simple to understand stories, and I think... The, the power of that is we are genetically wired as people to, be, to understand stories. Mm. Uh, since the days of the earliest Hebrew storytellers in the deserts of the Middle East, we have been fa- infatuated and entranced by stories. And so I think if pastors and ministry leaders could understand the power of storytelling, it would dramatically change the way they share the message. You know, it's not just about information. It's also about a compelling emotional message, and that makes a huge difference in helping people understand
0: Great. Now, one of the sessions that um, you and I just met here at the National Outreach Convention in Mm -hmm. San Diego, Uh, one of your sessions was the top 10 mistakes Christians make in the media. Um, But I didn't want you to repeat that whole session. All I'm kind of looking for is a lot of who I'm talking to often is the pastor or leader of a smaller church, like a church with 300 or less, of which North America is, that's the majority of churches, right? Right. So what would you say are the top three mistakes that the smaller churches make, or, or, you know, yeah, I, how, how can you speak to them? That's
1: a great question. I think small, the mis- some of the mistakes that smaller churches make are, number one, that communicating doesn't matter. Um, first of all, everything communicates. If I would tell your audience anything, it would be that everything communicates, the car you drive, the clothes you wear, the interior of your church, that the, your, your bulletin. When I taught my workshop here at the National Outreach Conference this morning, I, I'm I told the crowd that when they walked in the room, they started sizing me up before I ever opened my mouth. It's mm-hmm. just human nature. You look at the way people are, their attitudes, the way they dress, the way they talk. And so it doesn't mean I, I, for pastors to go out and buy a nicer car or spend a lot of money on a suit. It means just you need to understand that everything you do is communicating some message. And so I think you need to communicate vision. You need to you know, communicate the message of your church and the message of your ministry and think about All the things you're doing that are communicating that message is absolutely critical. Um, Just because you're small doesn't mean you don't have an important message. And trust me, in the digital world, the smallest, most inexpensive message can get told virally online to millions and millions of people. So uh, don't be discouraged because you don't seem to have a lot of money or financial resources or equipment. You can still tell your story well.
0: Okay, so that's the first one. What about in a, in um, a second I one? would say
1: uh, others are things w- things we talked about in, my, in the class this morning are issues like context matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the message that you share in the pulpit is not necessarily the message you share if you get invited to the local Kiwanis Club to speak or if you get called on by the local news media to comment on the recent election or some scandal, you know, in some other church. Understand that context matters where you are. The audience you're speaking to matters. Many times I will give the same message to a college crowd versus a church crowd or a business crowd. But trust me, I deliver that message in dramatically different ways for those different audiences. So context really is important, understanding who the audience is. And probably the third thing I would say is we just need to be a lot more original. Mm-hmm. Um, incredibly frustrated that most pastors are simply not preaching a message that's terribly original. Or they're certainly not doing it in a very original way. It doesn't mean we have to get wacky or crazy, but the truth is people want to hear something new and fresh. They want to hear your insight on something. And so stop copying the world. Stop trying to be like other pastors or other ministry leaders. Start being you. God gave us each a unique DNA fingerprint. We are different from everyone else. And your past, your expertise, your knowledge, your situation all bring a unique perspective onto your message that makes it worth listening to and so we're just remember that it'll have a huge impact on your your ministry
0: that's great you um... also spent some time talking about um, that we in the church should lose the lingo mm, oh, yeah. Um can you explain uh, that yeah. you know can you explain what you may, mean when you say that
1: Yeah, and, you know in the church today we've created our own language for stuff i, I was at a doctor's office recently and I, I, two doctors were consulting in the hallway and i could not understand a word they said because they're talking in medical language The fact is, we have created those kind of that kind of lingo in the church. There's so many phrases that we use that nobody outside the church understands. Jesus never used religious language. He never used lingo of any kind. He spoke in a language and style his culture and the people of his time totally understood. And so, I I use the uh, the phrase a mighty time of fellowship. Some pastor told me the other day they were talking about (laughs) outreach they did, and said, "Phil, we just had a mighty time of fellowship." And I thought does anybody use that phrase outside the church? Does anybody in the office or at school or any place else describe that activity as a mighty time of fellowship? And there's so many phrases like that that I think we just need to lose and get back to talking like normal folks.
0: That's awesome. Another thing that you talked about was that media has become a two-way conversation. And and I like the aspects that you brought in about technology. Could you speak to that a little bit?
1: Sure. Technology is, tra- obviously, everybody knows technology has changed dramatically in the last 10 years. But the example I used was that uh, in, in, in my childhood, when I was a kid, we had three TV channels. And it was a one-way conversation. Mm-hmm. Whatever came down that, that TV tube, uh, we watched. We had no debate, no discussion, no talk back. But today... Blackberries and iPhones and iPods and computers and interactive devices of all kinds have entered the equation. And today, we have a chance to talk back. We have a chance to influence media. Uh, In fact, there's a generation out there, the millennials, kids born between 1980 and 1995, Mm -hmm. who that's all they've ever known. That's all they've ever known. And so they expect, I mean, they picked the next, they grew up picking the next American Idol by texting on their cell phone. Um, they know that they have power. They know that they can get their voice heard. So my admonition to pastors and ministry leaders is you need to understand that shift because that shift will change everything. If these kids who are now 15 years old to 30, they're moving into your church, they're moving into business ownership and leadership positions, um, they're moving into get more more stronger and stronger giving roles, Uh, if those people come to your church and your service is a one-way conversation, they will go elsewhere. Now, that doesn't mean we water down the message, but it does mean we need to start listening to what people are saying. We need to give them a voice, let them be heard. And uh, truth is, I didn't say this this morning, but the truth is it's like the early church. The early church, there wasn't a designated preacher guy. There wasn't a paid preacher guy in the early church. People sat together. They, they, they came into a room, and they shared their concerns. They shared what God was doing in their lives. It was much more interactive. So in many ways, technology is allowing us to go back to the way the early church was founded to get back to that interactivity, that two-way conversation, and that can be a very powerful thing.
0: Right. And millennials have now, with the use of social media, they have a voice. <laughs> they do. And you used the example of uh, the producer you were talking to that did Lost. Yeah. Can you tell that story a little bit? Yeah. We, uh,
1: our commercial company, TWC Films, is based in Santa Monica, California, and we're right across the street from the company owned by J.J. Abrams, who produced uh, the TV series Lost, and he's done Star Trek and a bunch of other projects. And uh, I talked to, chatted with his produ- one of his producers one day in the parking lot, and uh, he said there were hundreds of websites connected to Lost, and that their producers and writers regularly scanned those sites and would sometimes change storylines based on what they were hearing from the audience. What does that mean? That means that they were listening to the audience out there, and you wonder why Lost was such a huge hit show, cult favorite. I mean, millions and millions of people were were uh just entranced by that program and it was largely because they were reflecting the audience they tried to reach that that's a huge phrase reflecting the audience you're trying to reach so my question is if you're a pastor listening to this or you're a ministry leader listening to this are your messages are your topics are your subjects are your concerns reflecting issues the audience is wrestling with Um, if you can do that, chances are you will. Your, your ministry will really expand.
0: I think that's very important, and I guess the question that follows that really is: is how can a pastor listen to what? to the audience that is in their community, their local church, or the community that surrounds it?
1: That is a great question. I, I think a number of ways. Number one, we need to engage the media. You know, it's funny that most pastors brag that they don't watch television, that they don't go to movies, they don't listen to the radio. But the truth is, what a great barometer for figuring out where the culture is. We don't have to get stuck in front of the TV set for three, four hours a day. But the fact is, I think watching what's popular, um, what, what are the popular shows on television, trying to figure out why they're popular. What are the best-selling books out there? Trying to figure out why they're best-sellers. What are the most popular websites and social media tools? Uh, what are, are people using Twitter and Facebook? You know, not every pastor needs to be on Twitter or be on Facebook, but I would encourage every pastor to experiment with it, play around with it, see what it does. And Twitter is a great tool. It's, it's probably one of my primary tools for listening to what people are saying. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, I follow probably three or four or 500 people on Twitter, and I can scroll through their little no- their, their responses and see what issues they're wrestling right. with, questions they're asking, stuff that they're interested in, and it really helps tap me into the kind of the, the vein of culture out there and what people are concerned about.
0: Now one of the things that came up in the questioning today was that people were saying, "Well, how do I manage the time sink that they perceive that social media is?" and you gave some very good ways that you would suggest a pastor or a ministry leader do that. Yeah, and the truth is, if we really get down
1: to it, we waste a lot of time in a typical day. You know, I I used to waste, in fact, I still wrestle with it, but I waste enormous amounts of time in 10 or 15-minute increments. It's a really interesting thing. I used to say, okay, I've got 10 minutes before I have to leave for this appointment. I can't really read a book. I can't do this. I can't finish that project. So I just kind of hung out, went to go get a Coke. Whatever for 10 minutes. Well, I discovered when I really sat down and looked at it, I discovered everything I could do in 10 minutes. In 10 minutes, I could answer a couple emails. In 10 minutes, I could check my Twitter stream, see what people are talking about out there. In 10 minutes, I could update my Facebook page. In 10 minutes, I could make a quick phone call. Um, when you really think about it, you can milk a lot of things. You can be enormously productive in short little bursts of time. That's right. Don't feel like you need an hour to accomplish anything important. It's amazing how much you can accomplish in 10, 15-minute increments. That's right.
0: And I, I would challenge people that I, I have written an article that I actually said was that I felt pastors should be on Facebook. Um, yeah. not, not always to be the communicating vehicle right. and, and be broadcasting necessarily, but what I think is that they need to be using the tool as a listening vehicle.
1: Yeah, I, t- I agree. I absolutely agree. You can find out amazing – now, granted, there's a lot of junk on oh, yeah. Facebook, people posting stupid things and talking about silly things. and,
0: well, and, and sometimes uh, you find out things about your congregation oh, that you don't really want to know. That's true. <laughs>
1: Or wish you <laughs> That's true. Now, I would say this. I would say this. Be, be careful if you're. You know, I, I would say a couple of cautions. One is, don't let an assistant manage your social media presence because yes. you don't have time. Don't let an overeager assistant post to your Twitter or Facebook page because, number one, it needs to be you. It needs to be honestly you. If you're trying to engage in social media, understand this is a personal media uh, event. So it needs to really be you. And B, a lot of times, assistants in their over-eagerness to impress will inflate your bio and make you sound outrageous or arrogant. They'll inflate... Statements that you say, and so be very, very careful. The the truth is, anything you put online never goes away. That's right. Um, I've always, for years, I've encouraged pastors and ministry leaders that um, you never do anything sensitive in an email. You don't fire people in an email. You don't get upset with people in an email. You don't criticize with. Uh, people in an email, because the minute you hit send, you've lost control of that message. Right. And the person you're sending it to that may be your friend today may not be your friend six weeks or six months or a year from now, and he has that email. So, in fact, I met. I was involved in a, a lawsuit. I was asked to be an expert witness uh, on media at a lawsuit that involved a church in a, a city, that in a zoning issue. And one of the things the attorney told me in, in rehearsing for this thing was that whenever you're sued by somebody, Nowadays, the first thing the opposing lawyers ask for is your emails. Mm. And if you delete them at that point, it's illegal. And um, Because what happens is an email, you say things in casual circumstances in an email that if that was repeated publicly, it'd be humiliating. Uh, don't. The bottom line is never say anything in an email that you wouldn't want shouted from the housetops. Mm-hmm. Because what seems perfectly, you know, what seems certainly innocent in in one context, read out in public, could seem like something very, very different. So there are real serious legal reasons to be sensitive and careful about email. I know a pastor who was um, fired from his church because of of that very situation. A, a a woman in his congregation sent him a joke, you know, an email joke. You know, you get millions mm-hmm. of these. Email jokes and around, and he responded to her and, and it wasn 't it wasn 't anything off color. But it was, it was a kind of a sexy joke to begin with. And so just the fact that she responded, she printed it out, took it to the elders, and said, look, my, this is the kind of emails I get from my pastor. He's responding to these sexy jokes. She had initiated, but it was enough to get the pastor fired. Yeah. So it's Well, it's well and I
0: think it, in all of these tools, whether it's email or Facebook yeah. or Twitter, whatever the digital context, we just have to use a lot of wisdom, right? A lot of wisdom. Because, because that's part of the reputation management side of things, True. too. And you, you talked about your yeah. um a, a church and a pastor's uh, reputation management side of Google. Yeah,
1: Google is a giant river of information. And so don't think about Google as search so much. Think about it more as reputation management. Um, I've used the example that the old DUI you got in college, uh, drinking and driving thing you got in college that you thought everybody would forgotten about now, it's going to come up in a Google search. Uh, Your past will haunt you in a Google search. In fact, we have a number of pastors and ministry leaders that come to us Saying, you know, how do I push down negative stuff, either criticism from outsiders or stuff from my past before I was saved or called into the ministry? That stuff keeps coming up in a Google search. And how do I push that down and get, you know, the best information to the top? So the bottom line is, that digital stuff will never go away, and uh, if you have anything to hide, it'll show up. So I always encourage pastors and ministry leaders to live more transparent lives than ever because right. in a digital world, you can't hide it.
0: Right, and being wise in what you <clears throat> what you send, what mm-hmm. you post, how you how you present yourself because you are a representative of the church, but you're a representative yeah. of, of Christ most importantly. Right? That's exactly and, right. And, and so you do have to watch a little bit what, what you say, but that shouldn't deter us from... Being a, like, we shouldn't be afraid as a result yes. to use these tools. We just need to be very wise. Very in, in, well said in the way we use them. Well um, you, one of the things that I also kind of think is that pastors spend a ton of time preparing a Sunday message. They're really good at packaging that hour or hour and a half that they have mm-hmm. Sunday morning within the walls, within the confines of their their Sunday morning service in their church where they can control what they're used to presenting, yeah. how they're used to conveying a message. Um, could you speak to some ideas that pastors could use maybe social media or create a strategy to not let all that effort go to waste? In And I, I don't make, mean to make that sound irreverent, but you know, that, no, it, totally it, to make it go beyond the hour. More than Sunday. one shot. Yeah, yeah. how, how shot. can they use social media to leverage all that research and all that information that they present Sunday morning throughout the coming weeks. So. That's,
1: that's a great question. The fact is you put a lot of effort into a message, preparing a message or a series especially. Yes. And so there's no reason you couldn't take that and break it up and use it as blo- multiple blog posts. Um, you, you, could, you could use it on blogs. You could take nuggets of that series and use it, post it on Facebook, post, post it on Twitter, get people talking about it. Um, there's a lot of different ways. Uh, you can even, if you're shooting your message, a lot of churches, they'll have at least one camera, video camera. They're taping the pastor. And you could even edit that in a short little YouTube clip. So there's a lot of options. And always be thinking about how I could recycle, how I could reuse this, because if it was a powerful message once, it's going to be a powerful message again for a new audience. Mm -hmm. And believe me, there's there's far more people online than there are sitting in your congregation. So you have a much bigger platform to potentially reach people if you're doing it that way.
0: Well, and it certainly gives your um, congregation then an opportunity to have conversation outside of that hour, That's exactly and, and right. continue to um, work through some of the information, the, the issues, their struggles with it, and you can get an opportunity to respond to it. That's at the exactly
1: right. Yeah. Well said. Well said.
0: Um, one last thing. Okay. Um, I struggle with churches accepting mediocrity in the way they present stuff, and a lot of that comes across in design. And you have some very strong thoughts on design. How, how, you know what? how would we, you speak to it? We live
1: in a design-driven culture. Um, this generation, the millennials, that you know, these 15- to 30-year-old kids and younger, are com- t- completely driven by design. Go into an Apple store. Go into a... A Verizon store, go into a Starbucks, go into a Nike store, and you'll see the incredible power of design at work. And uh, Steve Jobs, uh, CEO of Apple, said, You know, design is not necessarily, it's not just the way it looks, it's the way it works. And so I think design really matters. And the point is, you use design to get their attention, you use design to open the door. Um, Content is king, your message is the most important thing. But if nobody's listening, no matter how anointed your message is, you failed. That's right. So I think the, the thing about design is it gets people's attention – it opens the door for them to listen to you. And I would really, really encourage pastors to rethink design. And don't think because your congregation are all old folks that design doesn't matter. Uh, you know, the, I, someone told me the other day that the biggest selling market for iPods right now is is senior citizens. Mm-hmm. And yet Apple doesn't do ads with seniors on a walker listening to their iPod. <laughs> no, they don't. You know, because old, old people want to be cool too. So you know, your design needs to be more contemporary than you think, even if your congregation is older and more traditional. So I would encourage you get rid of the dubs and the flags and the, the globes and, and, you know, the, the stuff that is overused right. so much. Those and are start, pet peeves for oh, both of us. Oh, real pet peeves. Yeah. And uh, start using more innovative images that will get people's attention, that will help strengthen your message and get you heard out there. And,
0: and, and how they all tie together, too. Yes, right?
1: how they all tie together matters. And I think that, uh, uh, you know, the, the key, I think the key thing is design is a way to open doors up for to increase your audience. I mean, the truth is, if you're in the ministry... Let's just let's just take the humble coat off for a minute and say, if you're in the ministry, it's not about ego; it's about getting your message heard. If God's right. given you a powerful message, uh, you need to share that with as many people as possible. So step up to the plate. Stop bowing out of these things and say, "Oh, I'm just i, I don't want to push myself." Well, you may not want to push yourself, but you need to push your message. If God's given you an important message, people need to hear it. So if design is one of the things that can open that message up to people. Use it. Find that high school kid in your congregation that knows Photoshop, that is a great designer, is a graphic artist, and start using
0: them. Or even uh, leveraging... the opportunity to hire a, a subcontracted, you know, independent graphic designer. It doesn't cost as much as what most churches think it's going to.
1: You know, excellence matters. I, I, I've learned working in Hollywood, I've learned that being a Christian in Hollywood is not that weird. Uh, I mean, after all, there are people that hug rocks and worship <laughs> trees in Hollywood, so being a Christian is not that strange. They will listen to my my faith as long as I'm really good at what I do right and being a great director in Hollywood or a great writer or a great producer opens the door for them to listen to your message about anything and so your congregation will is much more open to listening to your message if you exhibit excellence in what you do if your church building is something they're proud to attend if your worship if your music is something that excites them if they're proud of the design they see in the bulletin or the website or other things they're much more open to hearing your message but trust me Remember, I said everything communicates. So if ahead of time they see, you oh, their website is really nasty, or their d- the design in the sanctuary is really ugly, or they're out of touch, or they're out of t- they have poor taste, chances are they're going to be skeptical about your message. Well, as well. and they
0: make judgments uh, about Absolutely. that right away. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book um, a few years ago called Blink. Mm-hmm. You know ab- about the the length of time it takes for a person to actually make a decision. A, a, a determination on yes. a particular thing that they come in contact with. And your website is a huge thing, right? Because what, what do visitors check out before they actually right. walk into the doors of your church?
1: And if people come to your website twice and nothing has changed, they will never come back. That's right. You need to be updating your website, changing it. Otherwise, there's no reason for them to revisit.
0: Or if they come once and it's a disaster, they'll never come back for that second one. That's exactly right. right. Well, you've been very gracious to take some time to talk, and uh, we really appreciate it. Um, Where can people find you? Oh, great question. Um, My blog
1: is philcook.com, P-H-I-L-C-O-O-K-E, philcook.com. And, uh, yeah, come check it out. I've got a new book called Jolt. this is coming out in April of 2011, and it's already on posted on Amazon already, and it's going to be about a lot of these changes, how to navigate these kind of changes in your life. And so, um, yeah, come check out the blog and get a, be a part of our conversation.
0: And where can they find you on Twitter?
1: Twitter is at Phil Cook, P-H-I-L-C-O-O-K-E, one word. At Phil Cook is my Twitter stream, and uh, it's kind of fun, so yeah, jump in there. Great. Thank you for your time. Thank
0: you. It's been great. Thank you joining us for today's ministry story podcast feel free to post any comments you may have on ministrystory.com Our podcast theme song is could this be the end of the hiding by the contact who can be found at the please join us every monday another in inspirational conversation designed to increase ministry effectiveness as we share Greatest story ever told. The end of the hiding tell me cool.